Welcome to the Unconquered Podcast. One of the issues with our team right now is, is, is mental toughness, uh, discipline, and, and uh, execution. Blame no one. Make no excuses. Do something. Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast, everybody. This is, as always, your host, Dr. Jason Staples. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be an abbreviated episode. I just wanted to finish up with a few additional observations that came out of the uh, film session and a lot of the extra watches of the ULM game. Uh, you know, when I dig into it much more closely, there's more more to discuss, a little bit more to uh, bring up. For the most part, it confirmed the initial uh, the initial observations that were in the Scorching Hot Takes podcast the day after. But uh, there were a few additional things that I wanted to get to, so we'll, we'll do that. We'll talk to Jim Levitt hiring, and then we'll do a look, uh, question and answer at the end of the episode, and then I'll put out a, a, a brief UVA preview uh, as, a, as one more episode this week. Uh, get that out tomorrow. But before I do that, I want to thank the first sponsor of the show, and that is EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses. It's also worked with universities and so on for website development and online strategy planning. They just finished a uh, a website over. It's Russ Roberts, actually. If those for those of you who have not listened to the Econ Talk podcast and are interested in economics, it's the best the best podcast out there. EPR Creations just recently finished up doing Russ Roberts's. Uh, personal website and take a look at that. If you, if you want to see some top notch branding and, and uh, sophisticated web design and uh, go ahead and take a look at Russ Roberts uh, website there and you get an idea of what EPR creations can do for you. They're the best in the business. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast and they'll give you a special discount. All right, let's go ahead and talk ULM. I don't want to belabor this too much because I kind of fired, fired all my guns uh, on the uh, Hot Takes podcast in terms of how disorganized, how poor things have been, how the culture has not flipped. And you know, if you want more of my take on where things are within the program itself, I, 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 I still hold to what I said there that the, the culture has not adequately been flipped and uh, the organization behind the scenes has not been good enough. Uh, and that's at all levels of the, of the football program. It's just not, it's not run like a top level program. And you know, that, that, uh, that has to be fixed. That has to be dealt with. And, uh, and ultimately that's going to be on the head coach and, and the support staff and those above the head coach to make sure that that those, those sorts of things are done, are done well. Uh, and again, it's not like the defense doesn't have talent. This defense has, like I, like I said on that podcast, at least 37 blue chip recruits that it has available. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I, I just won't, I won't get too much into that again. I'm, 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 I'm feeling my uh, blood boiling once more and, Probably best to just go ahead and get to the few observations that I have down from uh, the additional film work. And uh, the first thing is, it was even worse for five than I initially thought. Uh, I, he he actually played worse than I realized. I'm, uh, you're, you're talking about probably a missed assignment on 25 to 30% of the plays. 
of the defensive plays against ULM. That that's not winning football. That's that's really bad. And as far as I'm concerned, he can sit. Because if you're not going to be physical, you're not going to come downhill and and be the thumper that you're supposed to be at that spot. And you're going to miss assignments and you're going to miss calls. Well, you know what? What are you giving us that the freshman can't? And, you know, 56 had some good plays. He had a nice strip. He had he, he did some nice things. He didn't play quite as well as I thought when I went back and looked at it as I initially thought. But as far as I'm concerned, go ahead and go ahead and get 42 out there more. He hasn't played a bunch, but when he's been out there, he's done he's done the right things and he's shown physicality. And you can you can win with that kid. Put put 42 out there, let 42 and 56 split the time. That that's really what they need to do. 16 was another one that stuck out to me on uh on my on my second watch. Durden has not played well in the first two games at all. He's flashed a few times. He's got a couple sacks. He'll have a nice splash play here and there, but on the play in, play out basis, he has not been good. Just quite simply not been good. I mean, there was one telling play early on when they single blocked him with an H back. And an H back from just a sniffer position behind the behind the offensive tackle who just he just stepped up and just kicked him out no problem that's a play where if you are a 300 pound defensive end three four defensive three four defensive end or four three defensive tackle you've got to you've got to play low and you've got to lift that h back and throw him into the back and you you tackle the running back with the h back that they're trying to block you with that's disrespectful for them to block you with that guy and it for it to work Really? And if you want to know why the 3-4, which has really been, I mean, it's not so much a 3-4, it's a hybrid front. They were, in, they were in even fronts quite a bit. But if you want to know why the fronts that they're, that they're running aren't working, well, one of the reasons is because you're counting on Durden to be a dude up there, and he's just not been most of the time. So at a certain point, you, you start saying, well, maybe, maybe you got to get him on the field a little bit less and maybe you go smaller. Maybe you, maybe you do something a little bit different up front because that guy's just not playing well enough. Okay. Cause we talked about in the preseason, one of the reasons that they went to this is to get three guys that they thought were among their best where you, you can go ahead and put Cooper, Marvin Wilson and Durden out there. And how many, how many teams have, have guys that can block all three of those guys? Well, you know, so far both teams have had guys that can block at least two of them. Marvin's been pretty pretty tough to deal with. But they're they're just not nearly as disruptive as they need to be up front. And I opened actually the um the the film session by highlighting a play from the UNC Miami game in which UNC defensive tackle Jason Strobridge, who's not as talented as anybody Florida State has on in their starting three, he's not as talented as about as as a good number of the backups Florida State has, but he dis- demonstrates proper block destruction and disruption at the point of attack in a two gap assignment in a way that I haven't seen from a Florida State defensive tackle not named Marvin Wilson this year, and you're certainly not seeing it from uh, from from Durden and. It, there's just something wrong there. So, <laughs> so that's, a, that's a problem. And then, uh, and, and then, you know, some of the backups, you know, 49 has gotten washed too often. He, he, 
they'll slant or whatever. And then you get teams that run opposite the, in the opposite direction of the slant. And it's the responsibility of the defensive tackle or defensive end, whoever's there on the defensive line to press against pressure. That's lesson number one for, for defensive linemen is whichever direction they're pressuring you, whichever direction they're pressing you they're If they're blocking down, you fight the pressure. That's just, that's basic. And some of these guys are getting washed too often and that's opening some seams. 49 is it's happened to him way too often. And, you know, wood has been okay at times, but that's, that's been a, that's been an issue in, in, in the running game at times. And he's played too high as well. But they're the, the biggest problem in run defense that, that came up that showed, showed up when I went and took a closer look at this is there are a lot of, there've been a lot of situations in which, the guys up front are not on the same page. Either you have linebackers and defensive linemen that are on slightly different pages. One guy's doing one thing and another guy's doing another. Or very often you're getting one guy who's doing a different assignment than anybody else. It's a do your job situation. On the, on the touchdown where uh, they ran a zone read and the quarterback just bounced out to the right and had you know about a 16, 15 yard run, run in for a touchdown, they, the design of the defense is to have 35, is to have uh, Leonard Warner right there. He's supposed to be handling the edge for any quarterback or any sort of any sort of contain responsibility there. But because they had some trouble stopping the run up the crease, when you had that uh, zone read action, he got just a little nosy. He started doing some trying to do somebody else's job. Coming inside, getting you know, getting nosy for that, and then all of a sudden the quarterback springs outside, and he's way out of position, and it's an easy touchdown. That should have been a, a tackle for loss, but you get nosy, and all of a sudden you're not doing your job, and somebody else then has to try to cover for you, and all of a sudden it's it's Armageddon defensively. It's just not good enough. Same thing happened, you know. Actually, six played reasonably well overall. Certainly a lot better than than five. But Lars would be. There's one play where that was a, a, a big run where his job, he's got the A gap. And he's actually got both A gaps together with the defensive tackle in front of him, as far as I can tell. But either way, he's not supposed to get out of the A gap. But ultimately, he sees a big seam developing in the B gap. And he kind of tries to hop over and take the B gap because he thinks that's where the running back's going. And then the back, as any good back's going to do, just cuts up right inside that. He, uh, Lars Woodby gets sealed and it's about a 25 yard run thing is if he'd just hit the a gap coming downhill and occupied the blocker there Hamsa Nasiruddin is coming screaming down to take that take that b gap he's the secondary support in the b gap and that's a that's that's a big hit at the line of scrimmage it's 25 yard difference so you know it's not a lot of these things, it's actually not that complicated. It's not hard to fix if guys just do their job. But it's not clear to me that guys understand their jobs in all of these cases. I think there's a lot of situations where guys don't really understand what they're being asked to do. So they're not as committed to doing it because they don't really get it. It's like, no, this is what, no matter what, here's the only thing you do. When they do this, this is the only thing you do and you commit hard to doing. They're not doing that. You've got a lot of guys that are trying to kind of think on the field. And the last thing you want is a defensive guy who's thinking. You want a guy who knows his assignment and reacts. And nobody, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, for the most part, people are not 
reacting out there. Hamza is a guy that's reacting right now, and he's playing good football. Marvin Wilson is a guy that's just destructive. But once you get past those two, it's not a whole lot. Eight's been okay at times. But yeah, it's just, and, and by the way, one other thing, it's, as far as the linebackers are concerned, it's not just about being slow to trigger, slow to get downhill. That's what triggering means is when you recognize run, you trigger, you start coming downhill into your gap. It's not just about being slow to trigger because in, in a, in a two gap system where you've got a hybrid front, if you've got a two gapper in front of you, you're actually not supposed to trigger that quickly because you have what, what many, many coaches call a bendy gap. So you've got, instead of just having the A gap, you might have front side A gap to backside A gap. And whichever way the defensive tackle kind of gets turned, you have the other one. Your job is to make him right. So you can't come downhill too quickly. Otherwise, you get buried. And that's another thing that's happened with the backers, particularly on short yardage or on, on goal line. Those guys are getting buried. They're getting, uh, they're getting caught up in traffic because they're actually lined up too close to the line of scrimmage. It's just a matter of alignment in some cases that has gotten them in trouble. That's allowed them to get reached. Whereas if they played a little bit further off the line of scrimmage, they could come downhill harder when they actually need to and with more force. And then when it comes time for uh, to, to get outside to, to scrape or do whatever, because, you know, they're blocking down or, and, you know, they've got to respond to some sort of outside run. They can scrape without getting caught up in the trash. And so they're getting the worst of all of that when they're lined up too close to the line of scrimmage to start with. So these are, I mean, and these are coaching things. These are fundamental things. But like I said, I'm not sure that the, the players really understand what they're being asked to do, which in some cases, I wonder whether or not the position coach involved fully understands what they're supposed to do or really understands how to communicate it to these guys. Cause it's not just one guy it's when it's an entire position group. That's not, that's not, you can't blame that just on the players. So I'll go ahead and flip over to the offensive side. But before I do that, I want to thank my second sponsor and that is Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams realty in Jacksonville, Florida. He's the best in the business in, in terms of real estate, real estate agents. I, I'd take him over anybody pretty much nationwide. Because if I'm selling my house, I want somebody who can make my house look fantastic. This guy is trained as a photographer and videographer. He's going to make every house that he sells look as good as possible. If you want your house to sell and you're in the greater Jacksonville area, list with Lewis. If you want somebody who's going to outwork everybody else finding you the right house and you're moving to that area, you talk to Lewis. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast and he'll make sure you are taken care of. All right. Offensive side of the ball, still not as consistent at quarterback as they as they need. Uh, I I think when I looked at the at the pick six, it was a miscommunication. The big issue there is that as far as I could tell, uh, Blackman was reading the corner or was reading his receiver's route rather than reading the corner. He and the and the and the receiver should both be reading the corner together. But it looked like he was waiting for the receiver to make the read before he actually made the throw and you can't wait for the receiver to make the read. You have to actually make the read at the same time the receiver's doing it. And there's a little bit of a difference there. You got to get your eyes off of your guy and get your eyes onto the defender and figure out what, and get your read a little bit quicker. And then that that's going to lead to a little bit better decision-making. I think that's the big issue right there. And that's, that's, that's sort of plaguing some things overall. I don't think he's playing especially well, but they can win with what he's doing for the most part. 
Uh, offense overall, as we saw, super efficient early and then then changed a bit. Uh, I'm not really happy with what I saw in the second half. I don't think anybody is. They stalled out a little bit. And then the rest of the second half was a little disjointed. So, you know, depending on it, it's it's it'll be interesting, you know, long term to find out what's going on there. But uh it's just a bit disjointed through the remainder of the game. And they did find a way to put some things together, but you know, I'm not super, super uh, thrilled with what I've seen there. Either way, still ninth in SP plus in terms of efficiency offensively, not a whole lot to criticize there, especially given that they've got some weakness on the, on the offensive line. And with Jawan Williams out, they still survived. And that's they're That's partly because they're pretty good on the inside offensive uh, offensive line. Uh, there are a number of plays that I, I stopped on the on the film session and went, take a look at this. I mean, they, everybody's blocked on the interior. No wonder Akers is getting upfield. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's solid solid stuff. All right. Um, third thing I wanted to talk about is the well, you know what? Before that, there's one other thing. I had a, I had lunch with a really bright young coach uh, this week, and. He's a guy that also has uh, has a has some track training and strength and conditioning type background as well, and we got to talking about stuff. And he knew he knew that I was a Florida State guy, so you know when we when we sat down, one one of the things he he first asked, and you know I wasn't going to spend any time on hydrate gate uh, because I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. You know whether Taggart is throwing somebody under the bus for this or that or whatever, not a, not a big issue. But he did bring up something that I actually hadn't thought about uh, initially when all this came out. It, I just kind of ignored the whole thing. So, um, but he, he, he asked me the question when we sat down, he goes, I got a quick question. Does Willie Taggart really not know how, like why cramps happen? <laughs> and, and I started laughing or whatever. And he's like, no, seriously, does he not know? Does like, cause he, water has nothing to do with it. Like hydration. Like he's, he's going to talk about hydration and that's why cramps happen. Does he not know it's neurological? And I started laughing even harder because ultimately the guy's right. I mean, I know this from, from my, my training in this as well. You don't cramp because you're not hydrated. Hydration has very little to do with, with, with actually nothing to do with cramping uh, at the end of the day. I mean, you have to be hydrated enough to be surviving, but you can be pretty dehydrated and not cramp. You know, it's a neurological thing. It has to do with, uh, with the, as he said, it's a neurological thing. It has to do with the nerves firing and tightening the muscle up. And he said, you know, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm listening to this. He says, oh, we got to make sure we're better hydrated and all this. And he goes, it has nothing to do with it. You can give them water all, all you know, they, they can be waterlogged and they're still going to cramp. What it tells me when, when your guys are cramping up, it means you haven't run them hard enough. It means they're not running full speed. It means you're doing a bunch of, you know, slower conditioning stuff. And isn't, isn't his, and he goes, isn't his, uh, Aren't, isn't, isn't his guy, the guy that gave all those guys rhabdo at, at, at Oregon. See, that's not the way you train, train athletes. That's not the way you train football players. You got to get these guys running full speed, give them more rest periods and so on. You know, you got to train them like track guys. Otherwise, you know, these guys, these quick twitch guys, they're going to, they're going to cramp up because they're just not, they get out on the field for game day and they're running full speed and they haven't run full speed the whole time. And all of a sudden they're, they're neurologically going to seize up. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, you know what? I, I should have paid closer attention to that. Really should have paid closer attention to that. Cause that's a dang good point. And, and it actually reminds me a little bit of, of, it reminds me of what uh, Jeff Brom is doing up at Purdue. And one of the things, one of the reasons that he's landing a guy like say Marcellus Moore, uh, arguably the fastest recruit in the country this year, 
one of the reasons that, that he's landing some of these really, really fast guys is they've changed the way that they train their, their skill guys up there. They, a, a guy like Rondale Moore up there, they, they don't condition him. They don't do, have him do traditional conditioning at all. They have him on a track speed training schedule, basically. So when he does anything in practice or for, for conditioning or whatever, he gets really long rest periods or whatever, but he has to go all out. He's sprinting the way that you, that you train for the Olympics, basically. And this is one of the things that they're pushing, putting forward in recruiting is here's our plan for you to be able to run track the way that you want. Here's our plan to make you as fast as possible by the time you finish your career here at Purdue. And we're going to make sure that, you know, you, you're, you, you're getting faster, that you're less likely to get injured, that you're less likely to get pulls because you're going to be doing this using the best sports science possible to develop as a speed athlete. And they're doing that with their, with their football guys. And that's a big part of their recruiting pitch up there. And you know, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, this guy was just kind of disgusted that like water has nothing to do with it. If they think water has something to do with it, then that's a serious problem because you gotta, you gotta run. It's about, it's about running your guys at full speed. And if you don't do that, you're not going to get faster anyway. And I guess many of the, many of you in the audience aren't actually aware of how this works. I mean, most of, most of you who are listening to this, when you played sports or whatever, conditioning was about, you know, let's say running line drills in basketball or, uh, you know, running 40s with low rest, low rest periods and all that to develop your aerobic capacity for high school football or hundreds, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, but the thing is, if you're talking about speed training, hundred me if you want to get faster in the hundred meters, you have to run all out. You have to run fast, fast. You have to run 100% frequently because you only get faster by, by maximum. It's just like you get stronger in the weight room by lifting heavy weight. You get faster by running fast. And so when you talk about guys who are training for, say, the Olympics in the 100 meters, a guy like, uh, like Usain Bolt, his track practice is going to look like this. Warm up, heavy, you know, long warm up, you know, some run a couple laps and that sort of thing. Do some uh, plyometric drills and that sort of thing to get completely loose, get completely warmed up. And then when it comes time for his actual training session, He's going to say, run, run a hundred meters at full speed and then take a 10 minute break because his body needs to fully recuperate to be able to run the next hundred meters at full speed and then take another 10 minute break. And he might run four hundred meters, maybe, maybe in a, in a session and it's going to take him an hour to do it. If you're training high school athletes for track and you want to run 200 meters, what you don't do is run 200 meters and then take a one minute break and then have your guy run 200 meters. You're training cross country at that point. What you want to do is you want to run 200 meters and then you're going to have to rest eight minutes, 10 minutes. You might do some other active recovery or active rest a little bit, but those, those guys have, you have to recover in order to get faster. That's where you get faster is in the recovery. And if you don't train that way, if you don't train at full speed, then when you get out and you're at firing at full speed, you're going to cramp up. You're going to have, you're going to uh, pull hamstrings. You're going to have all sorts of things that are going to happen. So yeah, I, I, I couldn't pass that up uh, since, you know, that's something that was brought to my attention that I, I really should, it should have processed as soon as I heard it, that what's going on in, in hydrate gate had 
less to do with, you know, well, wh- whether, you know, do they know, not know how to hydrate? It has more to do with hydration has nothing to do with the cramping issue. Now, in terms of whether or not they were uh, well-conditioned and all of that and, well, and, and whether they were hydrated, well, I mean, that's another issue, but, you know, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with training and how you train. And at this point, it's pretty clear to me that even though they look stronger as a team, they aren't as conditioned and well-trained as what I would like to see. And, that, and that's really the difference between football football conditioning. You, you talk about guys, you know, saying, well, you know, football shape is very different from, you know, being in shape. One of the reasons for that, you can get into football shape without playing football the same way. Uh, I mean, minus some of the contact, I guess. But football shape really involves the difference is that you're when you play games, you're you're doing things at such high speed because everything is 100 percent in ways that you don't do during training generally. And if you want to get in football shape earlier, you want to be in football shape when the season starts. That means you have to do 100 percent training more frequently. And that, that, that really will help that. All right, let's go ahead and move to the third phase. I guess this is now the fourth phase of this podcast. And let's talk a little bit about the Levitt hiring. Uh, those of you who are not aware, and I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you're almost certainly aware that uh, Florida State has hired Jim Levitt as, uh, as a quality control analyst bringing him in to help with the defense that he helped install, basically a defense that Taggart wanted to run uh, all along. And uh, they shifted to starting in the spring and then fully installed over the summer. And uh, this is an important deal because really, I mean, what they're running is Levitt's defense already. Uh, this is essentially his defense as it is. So he knows this. He knows what they're, what they're trying to do as well or better than anybody on the staff. And they were, you know, kind of expecting him to be in that quality control advisory role early on before the season. But uh, as I talked about previously, that that fell through. And from what I was told, basically, Levitt wanted was was interested in coming on, but he wanted to be be assured that he would be in a defensive coordinator role, whether I don't know whether it was a co-defensive coordinator or whatever. He wanted a promise that he'd be in the defensive coordinator role in 2020. And they, they weren't willing to to make that guarantee. And, and honestly, if I'm Willie Taggart, I'm, I'm not real happy about, you know, I don't want to make that guarantee. I've got a defensive coordinator that I'm, I'm committed to, and I can't, I can't make that promise. So, you know, for whatever reason, uh, along those lines that fell through and he decided to decide, he decided to reverse that coming into the, into game three. So at any rate, this is his defense. He knows what, what, what's going on here. He's also one of the best linebackers coaches in the country. Uh, th- this guy knows linebackers, knows linebacker play, knows just in general how to coach a front seven really, really well. And that's where they've had problems, uh, as I talked about before. And, you know, it's, it's worth stepping back one more time to talk a little bit about some of the stuff I mentioned in the first segment where looking at the, at the problems. Uh, I was talking to somebody who was asking like, what, why are the linebackers so bad? Like, why would a guy like Woodby, who's a smart guy, not fill the way that he's supposed to? Well, that's a really good question. And really, I think a lot of this is so much about coaching linebackers. And especially in a scheme like this one, it is about convincing those guys that it's not their job to make every tackle. And I think a lot of what's going on at the linebacker position that I see on film is that these guys are trying to, they're running around blocks and when they're not doing their job, it's because they're trying to make a tackle. But 
a lot of times it's not your job to make the tackle. It's your job to spill to the guy that's supposed to make the tackle. It's your job to, uh, to fill a gap so that somebody else who has contained can come in and, and do it. it there, there's any number of ways to do your job is to be in that gap. And if the ball carrier can't go in that gap, that means he's going to go to this gap. So now you've spilled him to the right tackle. It's that sort of thing. And they haven't done that part of things. Well, they're not, you know, Dontavius isn't really tackling and hitting well either, but I think so much is they're trying to make plays. They're trying to make tackles. They're trying to, and what they really need to be doing is focusing on assignment soundness. And you have to buy into that and you have to understand what, what's going on to buy into that. And I'm not, I'm just not sure that that's really been conveyed to them. Well, it's certainly not been hammered into the point where they've embraced it. And that's something that, Maybe Levitt helping with Woody and, and helping with the defense can help those linebackers figure out what's going on to help them buy into, look, your job is on this front when, you know, when your defensive tackle in front of you gets turned this way, your job is to fill that like the hammer of God. And if there's no back there, when you get there, it's not your job to make the tackle. Your job is to be there and to make sure that that's filled. And if the back goes elsewhere, that's somebody else's job. Don't be looking. Don't look somewhere else. Read your key, hit your spot. And that's all I'm asking from you. And, and if you try to do otherwise, you're not doing your job and you're going to be standing with on the sideline. That's what they what they need. And, and I think Levitt understand, I mean, he really, in, in every past stop he's shown, he knows how to coach linebackers and get them to do that stuff. So that, that in itself is a, is an important thing. And I would be shocked if next year in 2020, he was not at least co DC title if in de facto running the defense. So, you know, that's a big, that's a big addition that's pro- provided Willie Taggart still around in 2020, which again, budget suggests that, you know, that's most likely, but in any case, um, the question is how much can he help now? And that, that's a little bit more complex. Once practice closes, well, most places around the country, those quality control guys are a little more hands-on than technically they're supposed to be. So, you know, you can kind of expect stuff in practice to be there to be a little bit more help in practice. I mean, they can't directly coach players, but you know, he can be standing there at practice and, uh, you know, holler over to, to somebody like Raymond Woody, who's coaching the linebackers. Hey, coach, tell number six to do such and such. Well, he's not coaching that guy because he's talking to the coach. But, well, you can kind of figure that out. Um, and then on in game day, he can be on the sideline, but isn't permitted to directly coach players either. Uh but he can be a, a, another strong voice in the room and will be a strong voice in the room during preparation in terms of uh, film eval, in terms of game plan and all sorts of things. Now, uh, I initially thought, oh, yeah, they're going to obviously put him in the box. You put a, put a headset on him. He doesn't coach any player directly, but he could call the defense from there. It turns out uh, uh, former Florida State quality control coach Addison Lynch corrected me on this and said, no, 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 they changed that rule back in 2018. He can't be in the box and he can't wear a headset. And the reason for that is that that Alabama and Georgia and some of these other teams that have, you know, 70 different, uh, different QC guys, 
were putting those guys in the box with headsets and they were stealing signals and they were, you know, exactly the sort of thing of you can run the defense and, and not actually directly coach, but you're actually coaching and you're stealing signals and all that. So they decided to try to limit that. You're, you're limited to, to 20 total headsets, uh, not including health, uh, training, training, uh, staff and so on. And 15 of those are for on-field uh, coach, those designated as on-field coaches, GAs, and and the like. And then uh, three of those can be listen-only headsets for student assistants and people like that. Uh, and then there's uh, then there's one additional one that you can designate for, and I, I'm uh, forgetting it at the, at the moment, but you can designate uh, to, I think, one other, but it can't be a quality control guy. It can't be one of those off-field staff. They're not permitted to wear, wear a headset. Uh, and they're not actually allowed in the box either. So he'll be on the field, and he can't. He's not allowed to directly coach players, but he can talk to coaches on the field at different points. He can he can still contribute here and there. So either way, he's going to have a pretty big impact on the defense the rest of the year, and he's going to be uh, he's going to be instrumental in trying to reshape this defense. And quite frankly, again, I, I do want to emphasize, it's not like the defense is miles away from being competent. It's just a matter of just a little bit more discipline, a little bit more gap control. A few guys do their jobs, and all of a sudden they're stopping. stopping. It's a bunch of three and outs instead of giving up a 25-yard run. I mean, it, the margins are that thin. So, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they're able to close that down. I was actually planning on doing a Q&A episode, but it turns out I'm looking at all these question and answers and I, I basically answered them all over the course of the uh, over the course of the podcast uh, organically. So there's really not a whole lot, a whole lot left. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap the podcast here. As always, want to thank my three sponsors. Haven't actually gotten to the third one here, but I'll go ahead and do them first. That is Garage Makeovers. They are the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home, Home Advisor and Angie's List. They're, they are licensed and insured. They've been in serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. If you need any work done in your garage, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers. If you're in South Florida, they're the best in the business. All your storage and organizational needs can be handled by Garage Makeovers. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. Also want to thank EPR Creations and Luis Marquez of Keller Williams in Jacksonville and uh, for their support and really appreciate them. And thanks also to my sponsors at above the bleached numbers or numbers bleached level. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have too much fun with this. Also want to thank those patrons who are above the bleached numbers level. Keith Chaney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Bert Bertoldi, Really appreciate the uh, extra support from you guys. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're getting value out of that. And uh, I will be back again with the UVA UVA preview shortly. Thanks again. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>